Hello everyone and welcome back to the another episode of the Modern Data Show. For today's episode, we have Salma Bakuk with us who is the CEO and co-founder of Siflet Data, a full-stack data observability platform. Before starting Siflet, Salma was an executive director at Goldman Sachs where she led various data initiatives and led the company towards being data-driven. While working at Goldman Sachs, Salma encountered various data quality issues which eventually led her to starting Siflet Data. Salma holds an engineering degree in applied mathematics and statistics and she describes herself as a mathematician by design, a data nerd and a recovered investment banker. Welcome to the show, Salma. Thank you so much, Ayush. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, so Salma, let's start a little bit about you. You know, Tell us a little bit about your journey from Goldman Sachs to now starting this company called Siflet Data, right? So help us understand a little bit more about your journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you mentioned, I started my career um, in at a US investment bank, Goldman Sachs. I initially joined as an analyst in their equity sales and trading division. And as you can imagine, the trading floor is a highly data intensive environment an environment where in general, uh, you know, big decisions are made in real time and big decisions that involve a lot of data and a lot of other uh, elements. Um, and so I was very quickly thrown into a kind of environment that relied on data to make decisions real time. And more importantly, where data quality issues can very quickly lead to a lot of problems. So I had a first row seat to literally everything that can go wrong as far as data quality or like thereof goes. So I was in, a, in equity sales and trading and I was responsible for a sales team. So I was a revenue leader and then turned a technology and data leader where I led a couple key initiatives to help make the team and the sales and trading division more data driven. And actually the bank was investing a lot in infrastructure and, and engineering in general. And we had an amazing engineering team and, and great infrastructure. Um, that said, the access to data and at the expense of using a buzzword, the access to data was reserved to a very small group of very technical people and, and there wasn't any data democratization as, as we call it these days. So that was a kind of the thought process behind the initiatives that I led, which were aimed at making business users um, more responsible for their data, accessing it and being able to leverage it day in, day out to make uh, smarter decisions. And I uh, started Cifle because um, I was, again, as a data consumer and then a business leader, I was exposed to data quality issues a lot. Uh, it was costing a lot of resources to the firm in terms of lack of efficiency, um, some errors that would happen from now and then, and a lot of, a, a lot of headaches internally and a lot of intense conversations. And I started really, this was in 2017, 2018, um, we had a pretty decentralized type of architecture. Um, it was a mesh without actually calling it to get a mesh. So I started looking for solutions for my team that would help us get better at managing the quality of our data assets. Um, and one thing led to another and I got even more passionate about the topic and ended up leaving Goldman to start the, my two co-founders who I've known for a decade. So that's where, that's where Cifle came from. Wow. Amazing. And uh, you know, if I'm not wrong, you guys are based out of Paris. We are. We're based in Paris. We're a remote first, remote first company, so we have employees all over. And obviously, we work with organizations from all over the world. Okay, and how big is the Cifre team right now? We're 20-ish. I'm afraid if I say the wrong number, people are going to be pissed at me. So I'm just going to say 20-ish. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah, so and growing super fast. We were three co-founders less than a year ago. Wow. Wow, that's great. That's great. So Selma, you know, tell us, tell us a little bit more about, as I've seen on the website, you know, uh, Cifre data is what you call as a full stack data observability platform. So right. help us break down those four words, full stack and data observability. Help us understand these things. 
For sure. So let me start with observability. Observability is a concept, as I'm sure, that comes from software and before that comes from control theory. Um, and the idea in software observability with what companies like Datadog, Neuralix, Splunk, et cetera, have created over the past decade was to help uh, software engineers um, get a better sense of what's going on inside their applications and to monitor the health status of the different components of the applications. Um, fast forward to now where data adoption is bigger than ever, where companies rely on tens, if not hundreds of external data sources, where data is really becoming central to every modern organization. Data engineers and data practitioners obviously turn to software to learn a lot from the practices being, you know, kind of the more mature, um, brother uh, or more mature cousin, I guess, in the family of engineering in general. Um, and so when we started, um, for, for my experience at Goldman, but also my co-founders working for companies like Uber, Amazon, etc. As data practitioners, we were looking for things to improve the reliability of our data assets and improve how the level of visibility we got over uh, what was going on inside the data infrastructure in general. So when we decided to start Sifle, um, the funny thing about us as a founding team is that I come from more like a data consumer slash business leader kind of background, whereas my co-founders come more from like pure analytics engineering, data engineering, software engineering backgrounds. So when we decided to launch Play, we had different perspectives in terms of what we wanted to do to look like, which ended up actually being a superpower for us because we are building a tool that can help both data engineers and data consumers navigate their liability and data quality issues. So long story short and back to observability in data particularly, our approach with Cifle emulates a lot the approach that's in software observability in a sense that software observability is based on three main pillars, uh, metrics, logs, and traces. Data, in my opinion, is a much more complex, you know, uh, type of environment. It, it has a lot of infrastructure elements for sure. Um, but at the same time, there is a lot of other things that get uh, thrown into the mix that make it even more complex for data practitioners to, to navigate it, and for which a framework that's solely based on infrastructure is not enough. And that's where data observability comes into the picture. So our framework with C is based on three main pillars, uh, metrics, metadata, and lineage. For metrics, we look at your basic data quality monitoring metrics or what constitutes the basis of an anomaly detection framework. You want to look at anomalies within um, the data itself. You want to look at anomalies at the metadata level, and you want to look at anomalies at the infrastructure level. And I think that's also one of the key differentiators for CIFLE because we want to make data quality monitoring a bit more proactive because when you start detecting things about um, you know, a volume problem, a schema change problem, a statistic outlier or something like that. Our opinion is that's already too late in the process, right? Like you're you, yeah, in, a, in an ideal scenario, you want to be able to detect signals at the infrastructure level that could potentially lead to a data anomaly or a metadata anomaly. So we have that, that dimension as well at Um and, um, and, and the second pillar is lineage, because in my opinion, there is no, if you want to have full observability, if you want to have full visibility over your data assets and understand how the different assets are related and how they connect and communicate with each other within a complex ecosystem, you need to have lineage. And so we, uh, we invested a lot in our in, uh, lineage uh, capabilities at Cifle, and that's where the full stack name comes from because um, we are, so we sit on top of an existing data stack and we have connectors from ingestion all the way to consumption, whether consumption is BI, analytics, reverse ETL, ML, whatever. And we would, we can put the lineage automatically throughout the whole data stack. So we can follow the whole journey of the data assets um, to essentially give context to the anomalies that we detect. And then the last pillar, metadata is important to, um, get a better understanding of how 
different, you know, components or different attributes of the data assets interact with each other to be able to get even better visibility and, and better and better overall observability. There's a pillar that we don't talk about a lot, which we use also in our frameworks, which is logs. And this is very similar to the logs definition in software engineering. And that's what ties back to the infrastructure monitoring element is because you want to make monitoring more proactive and you want to get insights from the different applications where the data is running to be able to detect what could lead to a data anomaly before it's it's being processed and, and dealt with. So that's the that's the framework um, high level. Those are amazing points, Salma. One thing that I would want you to dive deeper into is around lineage, right? So lineage is by its by its fundamental nature is is a tough problem to solve it's a really tough problem to solve and it's more it's not just a tech problem it's more of a people problem it's more of a process problem so there are a few moving elements that are beyond the control of technology how are you tackling that how are you is there any level of automation when it comes to lineage discovering those lineages how are you handling that absolutely that's such a great question and i agree with you 100 on the fact that Lineage is a very complex problem. It's a very, it's a concept that still draws a lot of confusion. Um, and it's actually, it's not an easy problem to solve. And anecdotally, when we started Cplay, the very first lines of codes we wrote were for the data lineage, because we knew from the get-go, and that's why we call ourselves a full stack or a full data stack observability platform. We knew that if you want to have a bird's eye view, a bird's eye view, sorry, into all your data assets, you need to know how they're connected. Because with the growing complexity of data infrastructures and the growing um, expectations from uh, stakeholders and the business around what data teams and what data infrastructures do, because we're not gonna lie, it's, it's uh, you know, the data infrastructures are, are, are very expensive to, to create and maintain. So you wanna make sure that you get the best ROI on your investment, on your data investments. Um, and so we knew from the get-go that we didn't want to just do a simple anomaly detection framework that tells you when something breaks. Like we've been in, in the data practitioner seat in the past and we know that that's just not enough. And that's how you get to a point where you get alert fatigue and people start ignoring problems and stuff like that. So we started by in, in building a lineage and it still is today one of the key pillars of our product. Now back to your question, 100% lineage should be automated, otherwise you shouldn't even be calling it lineage. We speak to some customers that tell us about their pain points how and, and around lineage and how they've been maintaining it with different CSV files. And, and I hear horror stories about people computing lineage manually. And we sat through a presentation once from a customer that showed us how the lineage was done in a PowerPoint. So, so that every time somebody was creating a new data assets, they were documenting it manually and that was their lineage. It's, it definitely shouldn't be done like this. That's not scalable. That's not maintainable. Um, and that doesn't back to your comments, it doesn't help, um, nurture and create and foster a data driven culture, right? Like dealing with data becomes a problem and becomes a huge hassle. And so people are just less and less incentivized to deal with this in the first place. So we compute lineage in a variety of different ways. As I said, we invest a lot in our lineage. We have actually a team dedicated to that specifically. It's a backbone of our product and, and we make sure that our algorithms are as deeply connected as possible that we can reverse engineer any type of information we get from connecting to the data platform. So concretely speaking, we, would have, we have connectors across the whole data stack that collect logs information that reverse engineers the code that has parsers and stuff like that and looks at the metadata and a lot of other elements and kind of 
computes automatically a lineage information and updates it in near real time so that users will never have to worry about how the data assets are related or God forbid somebody deletes something and it breaks everything else for people downstream. So that's, um, that's, that's, but, but I feel like lineage is, again, it's an over, it's, it's an ever evolving topic and it's definitely an area where there is still a lot of innovation to be done in my opinion. For example, we want to be able to expand the lineage to even the infrastructure layer. You want to be able to go a bit deeper into the, the, the orchestration, the transformation, the modern layers, you want to go into the semantic layer. So. There is an infinite way, there's an infinity of ways you can do the lineage and improve it. But, uh, but to your point about automation, I mean, if you, you can't even call it a lineage if it's not automated. <laughs> yeah. So Salma, I think so you, you briefly mentioned this term called alert fatigue, right? And that's a real thing. You know, I've spoken to a couple of data leaders and one of the initial concerns and pushback that comes to having a data observability or a data quality monitoring tool implemented is this whole fear about data or alert fatigue, right? How do you filter out signal from this huge spectrum of noises that might generate because of anomaly detection due to tons of notification and all those kind of thing, right? So my first question to you is, you, you mentioned that you solve certain level of alert fatigue by using lineage because once you understand that relationship between data assets, you would be able to give more contextual information when it comes to alerting. So the first question to you is, how are you dealing with alert fatigue apart from lineage? And then the second question and a kind of a follow-up question for this is, how do you get an internal buy-in and build the case for a need of a data observability tool within any organization? Another great question. So alert fatigue, the easiest proxy we can make about alert fatigue and the implications it has and how it's, and at least that's where, that's how we learned to improve our model to fight alert fatigue was looking at cybersecurity. Cause that's, that's an area where, you know, there's a lot, of, it's an area that's slightly more mature than broadly speaking, data governance and data observability and where a, a lot more attention is given to alerts because no company today is safe from a cyber cybersecurity attack. So we looked a lot at that space and we tried to learn from them on how to make sure that our anomaly detection model was not creating extra work and extra alerts for the user and it was actually actionable. We love the word the word actionable at Cifle, you'll see us use it a lot. And, uh, and, and yes, lineage helps a lot in the sense that it gives context to the anomalies that the tool detects and tells you what you can do on behalf of the alert. So where is it coming from? How it's impacting the user? Who's looking into it, et cetera. So you can build like a, like a, an incident report where you can follow each incident and know exactly what can be done to remediate the accidents and more importantly, to avoid it from propagating and from happening in, in the future. The second big element in fighting alert fatigue is, and again, like this is more still with regards to technology, I'll, I'll give you also, uh, you know, a, an argument that's less related to technology, which in my opinion is, is often overlooked, but still on the technology elements, I think a lot of tools and a lot of ways to do anomaly detection want to focus on ML and apply it in getting better and getting smarter and doing more automated ways to deal with anomaly detection, right? And that's great because you cover a broader variety of use cases. You can automate a lot of the workflows, but you can't do ML detection, if ML-based anomaly detection, if your ML model is not robust enough and equipped with a very solid feedback loop. Otherwise, it's a recipe for disaster and that's how you create a lot of false negatives and false positives and just a bunch of random alerts that are not filtered 
or presents it to the user in a way that helps them trust the tool that does the monitoring for them. It's actually very funny and very related to the psychology of humans because when you get a, an anomaly detection tool or observability tool, you use it to trust, to achieve more trust in your data and your data infrastructure, right? But if you don't trust the performance of the tool, then you're not going to use it and, and the adoption is going to be very poor. And in order for you to trust the tool, you need to experiment with all the alerts you get from the tool and how efficient they help you get around monitoring your data assets. So again, without making it about C++ specifically, uh, but we invested a ton in our ML-based uh, anomaly detection engine uh, specifically because we wanted to avoid uh, landing in the trap of, of, of alert fatigue. Um, and in our ML-based uh, anomaly detection um, engine, you so obviously you have a very strong feedback loop, but you can also, it's built in a way that it gets smart and learns from the anomalies that the user detects and learns from the actions that the user is taking on behalf of the alert. So back to the lineage part, so that overall it makes sure that uh, that uh, that all the alerts are dealt with and the, all the alerts are actually relevant. Um, the final point uh, is more related to people and, and, and internal evangelism. Like if you build a culture internally, and this is the job of data leaders, business leaders, if you build a culture internally that, um, you know, celebrate small wins about data quality, makes data quality almost part of, you know, the, the, the culture uh, within the data team and within broader organization, then people are more incentivized to take data quality issues and the alerts they get from anomaly sections more seriously. Unfortunately, there is no shortcut to achieving a good and healthy data culture within an organization. It's a lot of work and a lot of small initiatives that are done repeatedly to ensure that people are incentivized, but, but you can't just rely on, uh, on, uh, on, on technology to do that. You definitely need to have also strong adoption internally and strong messaging about the importance of ensuring good quality data. And fortunately on our for or unfortunately, there is a, a variety of ways to compute. And this is back to the question of how to get the buy-in. There's a variety of ways to compute the ROI of data quality initiatives. Um, but also there's been, unfortunately, a big number of highly publicized data catastrophes of public companies that paid fines or made uh, reported huge losses and stuff like that, that are, you can find via simple Google search. And you'll see that if data quality is not taken seriously, it can have, it can get very serious and it can have serious repercussions on the business. And so about the buy-in, I think it's a matter of aligning, first of all, aligning the business objectives with the data team's objectives. And I think that's where a lot of data leaders get it wrong because they go and they invest a lot in a modern data stack and they go and buy all the fancy tools, but they, they often lack that connection to the business that tells them, okay, this is exactly what we need from the data team. And this is why data quality is important. And again, there's a variety of ways to go about that and get uh, internal stakeholder buy-in. But from my experience, and this helped me a lot in my previous experience, because I was a, like a hybrid business slash technology leader, and I see it play out quite nicely with a lot of the customers that we're lucky to work with at CFLA is that the most successful or the initiatives that I see succeed as far as data quality and data governance go is when both stakeholders from the business and technology are involved in the discussion and in picking the tool for data observability. Yeah, that, that's a brilliant answer, Salma. And another thing that keeps coming often is the data has been, the whole evolution of the data stack has been very prominent in past few years. 
what do you think have changed in the industry or in from a technology perspective that data observability has suddenly become a hot topic you have got a lot of companies raising a lot of money there is a lot of investor interest in this area there is a lot of even customer interest in this area why this has happened suddenly what do you think what has changed yeah the category is definitely although it's new it is getting a lot of attention and it's maturing pretty fast which is really great to see obviously as uh, as founder of a company that uh, that's uh, in the space but to your question about what caused this proliferation of tools all of a sudden to be completely honest and transparent with you and i'm sure you can agree and relate to this with me data quality issues existed for as long as data infrastructure existed or as long as people started using data to have to drive business yep. initiatives right um what happened though over the past decade yep. is that there has been a huge evolution or revolution that took place in the data engineering and the data infrastructure and tooling space that's made a lot of the processes that were taking a lot of time and a lot of manual efforts from data engineers made them automated and possible right so if you look at the whole like existence or, or or the growing adoption of the modern data stack is a lot to thank for that because now you don't need to write manual script to create a pipeline anymore you don't need to make your dashboards manually you don't need to now you have even reverse etl you can loop the data back into the business and there's a lot of fantastic technologies that have emerged and automated a lot of the workflow of workflow for data engineers and and shifted their focus from thinking about where do we even start to create a data infrastructure to now being like, okay, I know I can buy this tool, that tool, I can still build this. And I will have this functioning data stack that takes data from its raw format to insights. Now I can focus on how to make this more reliable, more efficient and more cost, cost friendly. And I think that's where a lot of like the, there had, there was a shift uh, in the mentality for data leaders because now they have the bandwidth to look at how to make their stacks more reliable, how to improve the ROI of their data infrastructure, et cetera. So that's one part. And I think that's what motivated a lot of business and data leaders to start looking for ways to automate data quality and automate data observability. Because if we're honest, nobody's starting from scratch when it comes to data quality. Like everybody uses basic testing, you test the pipelines, you there's a lot of amazing open source solutions that you can adopt to get started. You start to have real problems and the need for data observability solution when you start to scale, right? And that's when, and when you get to the level where you are scaling and things start to break a lot and lineage becomes important, for example, then because you know that you're covered on all the other compartments of the data stack, then becomes the question of, okay, how do we optimize this setup? And that's where data observability comes to picture. Now back to a more of a technology element. Um, I mean, again, there has been a lot of solutions in the past to tackle data quality issues. Your Informatica, Talent, IBM, et cetera, that were adapted to the technology that was prevalent at the time. Now with the evolution of the modern data stack yeah. and the way we're doing things, it actually made it easier to come up with solutions that can detect anomalies for a modern data stack environment. And I think that's why there was an, an explosion or there is an explosion of amazing technologies in the space trying to tackle this problem. Because like, if you stick to a, as I like to call it, a snowflake and friends data stack, then you can relatively easily do some basic observability and testing with DBT and with other tools. And it becomes just a matter of automating that. The real struggle, and I think what's gonna drive the future of the category in general, 
is covering the very complex use cases, which is still, in my opinion, more than 70% of data stacks of companies globally, right? Like people who are still between modern and legacy, people who rely on a big variety of data sources, people who are still who, you know, are still between like a data warehouse, data lake, data mart kind of infrastructure. Obviously data mesh and decentralization is the big topic, is a big topic right now. So I, I see more and more data leaders and modern organization wanting to embrace the complexity. And I think that's going to be the challenge and that's going to kind of shape the future for data observability as a category, because you're going to have to adapt to that as a vendor if you want to grow and if you want to solve the problems for most organizations. Yeah. Uh, Salma, another thing that we keep hearing a lot, and tell me if it's a myth or it's something that's real, is we keep hearing that tools like data observability and tools like tools, any tools like separate data, they are more suited for big enterprises. It's not something that data observability or data quality monitoring is not something that's probably P1 or P2 priority for any mid-sized company or a small-scale company. Is that a myth or do you disagree with that? I think it depends. I think if we just stick to the concept of observability and what it means, which is achieving full visibility, reliability of your data assets, having a good like level of confidence in your data assets, just the concept itself without looking at vendor like Play or it's something that any company, regardless of its size, should strive for, right? Now, how do you go about achieving observability, whether you do it with, as I said, like using open source solutions, building something in-house internally, or going and investing in a full data stack observability tool like Ciflay, that depends on the scale and the growth rate of the organization and the overall objectives, right? So it might not be for any size of company that I agree with you on, but, but the concept itself applies to any company that deals with data. It becomes yeah. a question of, figuring out and making a trade-off between the resources and the level of sophistication you need from a solution. Yeah. We definitely do not just work with large enterprises and we work with companies from any company that has a data team and any scale into a certain degree. Right. Right. So another thing, Selma, is what we are also very keen to understand from you is you started off from data quality monitoring and now you branched into a couple of adjacent things like around metadata management and lineage. And there are few companies and tools that are explicitly for metadata management or let's say only specifically for lineage. Uh, as one of the parting questions, as one of the last questions for this interview, Salma, what I want to understand from you is what do you think is the future for separate data from a product perspective, from an offering perspective? What are those next big things coming from separate? Are you looking to branch out to adjacent things like, as you said, metadata lineage? Are you looking to branch out to adjacent things and have like a full full stack kind of a solution that you already talked about or you would want to stay very specific around data quality monitoring and data observability oh this is a great question so without giving away too much our dna with cflay yeah is at least for the time being and will remain for the next two three years is monitoring and observability right we're an observability solution we're full stack mm -hmm. sit on top of an existing data stack and we ensure that everything is reliable, trustworthy, and visible, right? We have this concept that we are trying to bring to the world. And, and if you follow us, uh, you'll see that it's the name of our newsletter and our conference. We call it data entropy, right? So broadly speaking, CFLAY is on a mission to reduce data entropy, right? And entropy in data can manifest itself in a variety of different ways. 
entropy can mean a lot of data quality problems for a company. Entropy can mean a lack, a lack of visibility uh, for the data assets. Entropy can mean that they're still using a power plant for lineage, for example. Uh, and so CIFLE as a company is on a mission to reduce data entropy within organizations. Now, um, back to what you mentioned specifically about metadata management and stuff like that. I think overall, obviously we're not going to go and, and, and pretend to do one thing better than another or go and branch out to other products, at least not for the time being. Um, but we will definitely, as part of our product vision and our product roadmap, we will definitely invest in every compartment that helps achieve overall better observability uh, of the data and the data assets and, and reduce the entropy uh, within the, the data and the data infrastructure. I, I don't know if that answered your question, but, I'm, but I'm, I'll be happy to, to dive deeper into this. No, I think so that did. I think so that, yeah, I think so that that did answer my question. And thank you so much for giving all of these candid answers. My pleasure. Mommy. I had such a lovely time having this conversation. Me too. Yeah. Thank so you. Thank you. Thank you again so much for your time, Selma. And uh, we are really looking forward to publishing this episode. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me.